0: The following podcast is a work of fiction. All characters are the creation of Peter Williams. Any resemblance to someone living or dead is purely coincidental. Thank you.
1: Let us take an assessment of where we are in the story. Last week, we found out that our friend, Detective Rogers, is not our friend after all. Say it isn't so, detective. Worse still, his friends and colleagues have no idea that he's in cahoots with the cult. And even worse than that, it seems Mrs. Thomas isn't dead at all. How can this be? How can this be? (laughs) Will the tides of fate now change with the arrival of the mystic Jonah Hollander? Or does the cult have something special planned for him? This isn't good, Detective Stevens. You better hurry. (laughs) Now, before we begin tonight's episode, a quick reminder that this podcast does contain images of graphic violence child endangerment, and naughty language. So children on the age of 13 are not recommended to be listening, but if they are, well, you know, I can't control everything, can I? So sit back, grab your snacks, your tentacles, and perhaps a loved one as we begin Chapter 8, Discovery.
0: They pulled up in front of Detective Rogers' house. It was dark. Not even the outside light was on for any lingering trick-or-treaters that might attempt to see if anyone was home. Leaving on his headlights and turning on the police searchlight, they began to scan their surroundings. The grass had overgrown everything. The only evidence that anyone had ever been there was a well-worn path to a pond under a willow tree. A breeze kicked up and the pond rippled. The dried leaves of the tree reached out over it like bony fingers reaching to some vast unknown destination in the moonless sky. The two detectives looked at each other. Detective Stevens aimed the searchlight directly at the house and slowly went from side to side. It revealed a simple two-story cottage with tan siding. It was weather-worn, a crumbling porch wrapped around it, and they could barely make out a hint of glass from the dirt-caked windows. Does anyone really live here? Stevens asked. Rich shrugged his shoulders. This was the address on his profile. "'It looks abandoned,' Stevens replied. "'It looks like the setting for a horror movie,' Donaldson said with a smile, and then he regretted his statement. "'Weren't they living one?' Detective Stevens looked at his partner, shook his head, and said, "'Shall we? Maybe we're missing something.' "'Yeah, let's go.' They turned on their flashlights. "'How's the gas levels?' Donaldson reminded his partner before he climbed out. "'Full tank.' "'Good. We probably should leave her running. We don't want to take a chance at draining the battery.' Stevens nodded and smiled. He was glad to see that his partner was thinking with a clear head. He was worried that the encounter with Master Rune might have shaken his resolve. Stepping out of the vehicle, Detective Stevens focused the police searchlight directly on the front door. A dried wreath hung over a barely legible welcome sign. Their own shadows looked menacing as they approached. Carefully climbing the three wooden steps which cracked and groaned under them, they could hear the wood splintering under their weight. We'd better be careful, Stevens noted. The blue slated paint on the wood porch had long faded. An old porch swing sat rusting and had fallen through a soft spot in the wood just to the right of the front door. Detective Stevens lifted the top of an old small faded black aluminum mailbox sorting through the crumbling letters they didn't find much. Most of it was marked Resident. Only one piece contained a name. It was addressed to a Dr. Jacob Ryder. "'Does the name Jacob Ryder mean anything to you?' Stevens asked Donaldson, as he aimed his flashlight through the small plate glass windows around the front door. "'Off at the top of my head?' "'No, but we should either have Daniels or even better Hicks run that tomorrow morning,' Donaldson said. "'Can you see anything?' "'Nothing.' Very carefully, Detective Donison circumnavigated the port swing. Spinning on a large window, he began to peer into the darkness. What about you? Anything? Stevens asked. Dust, he replied. I can make out the shapes of furniture, a TV. I'm not sure what that's supposed to be. Let me see. Warren carefully made his way over and took the flashlight. It was exactly as Rich had described. Dust, furniture, and Could that be? A small statue sat on top of a shelf, a lone tentacle with five eyes. Now he had to go inside and take a closer look. He walked back to the front door. Things weren't adding up. It was clear that the place had been abandoned. Why did Tim list this place as his home address? This was a mystery he had to solve. All types of red flags raced through his mind. But he didn't want to concede to those thoughts. Not yet. He needed to know more. Hey, Rich, he said, backing up to the front door. Yeah? You didn't see me do this. Do what? (laughs) Detective Stevens kicked the door hard enough to jolt it open. Rich frowned and leaned over to a lone mud-covered rock that sat near an empty, dirty bowl meant for feeding something. Probably a cat. He picked up a spare key and dangled it in the air. Why didn't you say something? Warren said with a bit of embarrassment. "'Well, I didn't think my overly experienced colleague "'would just bash in a door without looking for a key,' he admonished. "'Point taken,' Stephen said with a half-grin "'as he pushed the door in further. "'A stale, foul air met their noses. "'It was clear no one had been here in months, maybe years. "'Well, if this is Tim's place,' he said, "'now covering his mouth with his fedora, "'he better hire a maid.' "'They entered a room not visible from the windows.' It was a small kitchenette decorated with yellowing wallpaper. The countertop had a couple of stained teacups, two plates with the remains of some long-forgotten food. As they circled around the table, they found the crumpled remains of someone in a disintegrating cherry blossom dress. The skeleton was still holding a spatula in its bony hands. Rich leaned down and turned his flashlight towards the entrance to the next room. Another body lay there just between the rooms, frozen in whatever daily routine it had died repeating. Perhaps he was on his way to share his breakfast with the missus. He wondered how long they'd been here and what had killed them or who. Well, that answers one question. This is definitely not Tim's address, Donaldson said. But Stevens didn't respond. He himself still wasn't sure. Something about this place called to him. He could almost see how the place was. A loving couple living a simple life with, he could see the faint memory of a boy running playing near a pond. I think we'd better call County and get someone up here to check out this place, Donaldson said as he navigated around the second corpse. I agree, but before we do that, I want a closer look at something. The detective stepped over the man lying between the two rooms and entered the dust-covered living room. As it appeared from the outside, it was nothing odd or remarkable. A small tan couch nestled between a couple of end tables, a lamp in the far corner, and a bookshelf containing several tattered, leather-bound books. He picked up one and blew the dust off. It was a diary. 28th, September, 1987. It was our third day on the dig near Aegis on the Thrush River. Lily and I couldn't believe our luck. We think we found the old stone temple of Malachor. It's not quite as described as Professor Sullivan's journal. For instance, there's a deep well surrounded by a low wall of granite. Well, we'll have to take a closer look tomorrow, as Lily isn't feeling well. This pregnancy has been hard on her, but she's still such a soldier in all this. I am grateful to have such a beautiful and strong woman in my life. 3rd, October 1987. It is now clear that this is not the Temple of Malachor. After a close inspection, we found several strange, twisting columns that look more like tentacles than archways. Judging by the cephalopod-shaped suckers on the stone, it would make sense. A few remaining columns spike towards the sky, and I can't wrap my mind around these oddly hung torches. Lily says the place makes her uncomfortable and suggests we should move on. Come back after our little one's born. She says she always feels like she's being watched, as if something is crawling, just outside of our eyeshot. 7th, October 1987. We're wrapping things up here. Lily has become gravely sick, and I fear for our unborn child. I would have argued, but I love her too much, and I don't want to push our luck. I have marked the place on the map. To my embarrassment, we're about 100 miles north of where Professor Sullivan said the temple should be. I am left to wonder about this place. The only clues I have are the words, Yatsu. I know that's an incomplete name, but I interpret it to mean who crawls between. Well, it won't be a total loss. I did find one thing in the dirt behind the altar. It's a small statue that I think I'll take back as a memento. It's an odd thing, a lone tentacle with five eyes. That and a scroll, most of the writing I haven't been able to decipher, yet I keep getting a reference to he who crawls between the worlds. I wonder what strange deity they worshipped here. The thing that troubles me most is that I recall hearing of a well in the woods by Bloody Run Creek in Montgomery. I think after the baby's born, maybe Lily and I should take a trip up there and take a closer look. I wonder if there's a connection. 8th October 1987. Lily gave birth last night. She's feeling a little better and the rescue chopper will be here in a few hours. I am sure both her and the baby will be fine. Oh, did I mention? I'm the proud papa of a bouncing baby boy. We haven't decided on a name yet, but we were thinking of Timothy Jacob Ryder. I wanted to honor Lily's dad, and he doesn't have to have my name. Detective Stevens closed the diary and put it in his pocket. While this didn't confirm his suspicions, it definitely added to them. If he's right, he, the precinct, are all in trouble. Turning to Rich, we better get back to the station, stat. What's wrong, Donaldson asked, putting down the picture of the family. I'll explain on the way there, Warren replied. As they began to leave, they could hear the sound of someone walking around on the second floor. Did you? Rich held up his hand and turned to Detective Stevens. Yeah, I heard it. Should we check that out? Rich whispered. They heard a large bang, like someone slamming a bedroom door, followed by the sound of a child giggling. A sense of dread overcame Detective Stevens, and he could swear he could hear someone whispering to him. Leave. You must go. Hurry. No. I think we should leave. Now. But, Warren, if there's... There's no one here, Rich. At least no one human. Come on, we should go. Detective Stevens could hear that voice in his ear again, urging him. Get out. Hurry. The faint smell of something noxious had began to mix with the stale air. Gas. Warren turned to his partner and yelled, Move! The two men hurried out the door and started running full force. Donaldson caught his foot briefly in the crumbling wood and cried out in pain as he pulled it forth and stumbled down the steps. Detective Stevens looked back over his shoulders. Two eyes stared at them from an upstairs bedroom. Then he heard his partner yell, Get down! as he felt himself being pushed to the ground as a bright light erupted through the house behind them. The concussion of the explosion sent small pieces of wood flying through the air like shrapnel. Fire quickly overtook the house, painting the surroundings yellow in its bright blaze. He laid there for a few minutes. Everything ached, but everything felt like it was still intact. He rolled over and looked at his partner. He wasn't moving. A large gas ran across his face, and a piece of wood was lodged in his back. He heard him moan, and Stephen sighed in relief. At least he's alive. He slowly pulled himself off the ground and proceeded to lift his unconscious partner up. I've got you, buddy, he said, tears rolling down his face. He carried him to the waiting car and laid him on the back seat. He was afraid to remove the chunk of wood. God forbid he bled out. Cat and the kids would never forgive him. The windshield had a nasty crack and it was covered in debris. He picked up the radio. This is Stevens. Come in. Static. I am taking Detective Donaldson to St. Teresa's for care. Over. Again, no response. Figuring that the explosion had damaged the antenna, he put the car in gear and raced off to the hospital. Don't worry, buddy. We'll make it, he said to his partner. Then, like before in the house, he heard a voice, this time coming from the lips of his unconscious partner. Hicks. The department. All in danger. Hurry. Hurry he pressed the accelerator harder and raced to St. Teresa's. He couldn't help anyone until his partner was safe. But what did the voice mean? Hicks. The department. On the horizon, he could see the fire trucks racing out to the burning house behind him. It was clear that this had been a trap to kill him and his partner. This was no longer just a case about a sick little girl and a twisted high priest. This had become a full-blown war. Detective Rogers watched the night sky in anticipation and grinned as he saw a flash of yellow light up the night sky. He wished he could have seen the look on Detective Stevens' face. That arrogant smile and calmness gone in a flash. Even more important than that, that was his signal to begin. He turned and looked up at the glowing blue sign that read Montgomery Police Department and smiled. They had only themselves to blame, he thought. If they had just done what Master Rune had asked... They wouldn't need to be sacrificed. But they were stupid, stubborn people, and now now he would offer them up to Ikyatsu. Yes, tonight, Halloween, as humans put on their masks in a mockery of the ancients, he he could finally take his off.
1: It definitely wasn't just a scratch, but a full betrayal, body and soul. But can one blame a simple child when it's overrun by something evil? And now Detective Donaldson's hurt, and we have no idea what's happened to Hicks or Miss Kuchma. Your friends and allies are dropping like flies, Detective. How wonderful, how wonderful. So let's hope that next week that more will be revealed in Chapter 9, Devastation.